Thank you so much for joining us for our second season in our Let's Talk podcast series. I'm Maria, the Prevention and Youth Engagement Coordinator at the National Runaway Safe Line. The National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS, is the federally supported national communication system for runaway and homeless youth in the United States, providing crisis support and resources to over 125,000 youth, families, and communities annually. Through this series, our hope is to elevate the voices of young people as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections that are witnessed by the 4.2 million young people experiencing homelessness across the United States each year. Throughout our second season, we will be interviewing organizations and service providers across the country, featuring the work they do to support vulnerable young people in their communities and work towards a future without youth homelessness. Our podcast today spotlights the Phoenix Youth Project, last year's NRPM Shine a Light Award recipient. Created by Amber Green, the Phoenix Youth Project creates safe spaces grounded in social justice for young people to learn, educate, and transform lives and communities across Maryland's eastern shore. Today, I'm joined by Amber to learn more about the Phoenix Youth Project, how they demonstrate true leadership amongst RHY organizations through their young person-centered and led advocacy, detail services like their 24-hour youth drop-in center, and explore how their work aligns with what we do at the National Runaway Safe Line. Without further ado, Amber, how are you today? Well, I'm doing well. My name is Amber Green. I am the executive director and founder of Phoenix Youth Project. Um, The best way to explain the relationship that I have with my organization, it's my baby. (laughs) Um, Literally, it's my first child. Um, In fact, the maybe a week or so before I brought my son home from the hospital was the the week that I got our 501c3 um, notification. So this is truly my child. Um, And like any parent and a child, our organization is growing so quickly. Um, And we've been expanding our resources and our reach and just recently, um, at the start of the pandemic, we started providing services directly to homeless youth, which has opened our, our minds, um, has opened the doors to many opportunities, but also it has, you know, really pushed us to advocate for young adults and homeless youth. I'm so excited to get more into Phoenix Youth Project and learn more about, like, your baby, as you put it. What were you doing before Phoenix? So before Phoenix Youth Project, I would say I was in the crossroads of my young adult life. Um, I think everyone hears about the midlife crisis or and things like that, but there's this quarter life crisis that no one ever talks about. That age group between 22 and 25, where like you really don't know what the heck is going on. Um, adulting is still a foreign concept. And I was at a crossroads where I had to decide whether if I was going to remain in um, the local area where I live now, or if I was going to return back home to Washington, D.C., you know, having to deal with being a college dropout, dealing with mental health. And one of the the crossroads of decisions I had to make was either going back home to Washington, D.C. with my tail tucked between my legs and, you know, going back home with mom or dad. And right before I was making that decision, I also had the opportunity to go to a community um, town hall where we were able to listen and um, hear about youth issues in our local community. And I couldn't get out of my mind that here we are at a town hall talking about youth, 
and I was probably the youngest person in the room. And I went to sleep, woke up, went to sleep, woke up, and that just stuck with me. And so um, I gathered some of my friends, some like-minded individuals, and we created this series of events um, to focus on empowering youth to use their voices to bring them to the forefront of you know, community conversations and leading change and being change agents in the community. And that has took us to where we are now. Um, we're always going to be amplifying youth voices and, and putting youth in the front of decision-making. Uh, we are truly a youth-led organization. Um, and so I'm just excited to see our growth, uh, but also just so humble and proud to know of all the young people that have been in the process of us growing. Um, really, I had 16 year olds and, and you know, 19 and 20 year olds really a hands on on the building of this organization. That's amazing. And I, as also a young person working in youth services, I completely feel what you're saying is that like, sometimes I'm the only young person in these conversations or that there's such a disconnect between the people making the decisions and the people that it's impacting that it's astonishing in some ways. And so it's very cool what you guys have been doing with Unity Project. Yeah, it, it, it truly used to blow my mind that we would have all these youth advisory boards or we'll have all these youth town halls, but we didn't see young bodies. And I got tired of being called the youngest person in the room or the representation of the, of, of you know, the youth, because it got to a point that I had to accept the fact that I am becoming, I mean, I'm walking into my thirties. But in addition to that, I want to be respected amongst my peers. And so being the representation for youth in these tables with big name decision makers, it was also an issue because um, I had to prove myself as a young leader, um, as a young Black woman leader. I had to truly prove myself. Um, and sometimes, you know, I had to amplify my own voice in the conversation, especially when we're having a conversation of homelessness um, and preventing homelessness and providing services and taking away those barriers that we have um, that make the experience of those who are experiencing homelessness a lot harder. Do you feel like there's been in the past few years change in the like runaway and homeless youth field to be more inclusive of youth voices? I think there are definitely some leaders in the conversation um, when it comes to youth homelessness and um, taking the charge of being inclusive and equal in our services. However, um, despite them being lead agencies and leading these conversations, we can't ignore the fact that on the ground in our local communities, um, there aren't any strong voices to really push that um, idea of inclusiveness and making sure that we're not alienating those who are servicing. Um, and that's why Phoenix Youth Project has taken upon the opportunity to be that lead agency here in our rural community on the lower shore, um, the lower eastern shore of Maryland, is we're really trying to lead that conversation and saying, hey, we can be more inclusive if we change some of our shelter policies, or even challenging how 
um, other organizations are administering funds, like you, we have to make sure that we're working for the young people rather than working against. And what I've realized is that we just have a lot of agencies who are not trained um, on working with young people. Um, and that's a totally different subpopulation than when you're working with chronic homelessness who are you know, over 50. Not just facilitator roles, but in meetings where I am the youngest person in the room or trying to get more young people in the room to share their voices. I feel like it's not listened to at the same level that it should be. Like what you said about needing to prove that your voice matters or resonates. And it's like, this is the reason why we're all here. And like somehow this is the point that we're missing. It's that we just need to listen and center youth voices, like actually center them as opposed to having it be on, I've called it performative. I call it, I call it that all the time. I call that sideshow activism, that performative advocacy, that performative action to where there's no real, you're doing it for the photo op, but you're doing it for yeah. the recognition. And one of the things that I've been um, really trying to work with our youth is the whole basis of our organization, which is youth empowerment and empowering young voices. Um, and we do that through creative arts. But in addition to that, with the group that we work with, um, with homeless youth and unaccompanied youth and young adults, I think validating their experience, their lived experience and say, your lived experience makes you the expert. Why wouldn't we want to listen to you? Why wouldn't we want to take your consideration or take your experience as hardcore evidence or as research? And so any opportunity that we have for young people to be those leaders and to share their experience, we try to find ways to compensate them. Um, we're getting ready to embark on the 2022 Youth Count, which is a biannual survey that's being done statewide in um, the state of Maryland. And we're looking to think outside the box where we want to pay um, youth ambassadors for that two week time while we're administering the surveys and we're doing those outreach events. We wanna pay young people um, to help us and, and to use their lived experience and to connect with their peers. And that's one way that you can validate. Um, we've also been given opportunities from our Maryland State Department of Education to have young people um, who are experiencing homelessness or represent the LGBT community to be in the forefront of a round table with teachers, the superintendent and other teachers. Um, we don't shy away from those adult-like, um, you know, scenarios or those those playing fields. I think um, it kind of rubs people the wrong way when I'm I'm in this round table with all these business ties and these business suits, and here I am in a hoodie and a in a hoodie and jeans, and I'm bringing in a crowd of teens, and they're wearing hoodies, jeans, sneakers, and you know, you wanted our expertise, you wanted our lived experience, and sometimes our lived experience doesn't look as pretty or as polished as these business individuals or these corporate or these uh, directors of other, you know, human service organizations are looking like. So I, I'm, I just love the rawness of our organization. We're very raw. We're very passionate. Where I am in the, my perspective, that's like a huge strength that you have. It's authentic. It's youth-centered, it's youth voices, and it's youth empowerment in a way that a lot of organizations miss the target line. 
Have you noticed overlapping areas of need or systemic failures that the young people you're working with are experiencing or are working through? Definitely. Um, I've said it so many times that our organization is rooted in social justice topics. We can't address homelessness if we don't address juvenile justice reform. We can't address youth homelessness if we don't address our education system. We can't address youth homelessness if we don't um, address uh, healthcare inequality or mental health inequality and being able to get those resources. Um, COVID-19 has exposed a lot of gaps in our services. Um, a lot of things that you know, certain individuals and community organizers, we knew that they were there, um, but it took a whole pandemic for, um, for the powers that be to be exposed and to see these issues at a heightened level. And now we're all running and we're scrambling to try to fix these issues that have been here for centuries, for decades. And um, now I've seen the overlap to where I can't, you know, just provide a warm handoff. Well, a warm handoff isn't enough. If that's what I'm funded to do. I'm funded to identify and provide a warm handoff, but the scope of my work completely outdoes the, the, what we're funded to do. Because in order to refer different refer people to different agencies, I have to do my due diligence to make sure that agency is not gonna re-traumatize the young person that I send over there. I have to do my due diligence to make sure that just when I refer them to them, I'm consistently talking to that case manager, following up with that agency and saying, hey, I referred this person to you when have you made contact with them? Are you having troubles making contact with them? Don't just get rid of them in your program because you haven't been able to get them on the phone when I can honestly tell you they walk in through my drop-in center every day. Do you want to set a time in to where you can see them at the drop-in center? Because what I see is that a lot of agencies don't know how to work with youth. And I said this earlier, and I think it's where we have this notion where we think what a young adult is supposed to think, or we, that they're supposed to have this realization. But newsflash, your frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until you're 26. Yeah. So I can see how, okay, if I wanted to label this person a runaway, I can't you know, cut them from the knees and say, oh, you're a runaway. You were running away from, I was, yeah, I'm a runaway. I was running away from LGBT. You know, my, I'm, I'm LGBT and my mom and my dad are beating on me or yeah. I'm running away for the fact that, um, you know, I'm being bullied by my family um, because of the choices that I want to make um, socially. Or you have the fact that I'm not running away. It's just, there's no room for me in my household. My mom has eight or nine other siblings and she's staying in a hotel and I'm of age. I can work. I'm not running away. I'm just doing what I have to do yeah. to survive. And what I'm realizing time and time again is that there are too many people in leadership who make decisions, who are unaware of the reality of things. And it's, it's to the point where the leadership development of our organization is so important because we want to empower young people with lived experience to become those leaders, to become those decision makers. So we have peer support specialists that are AmeriCorps members, and they are those who 
been identified through our drop-in through our drop-in program. They've been with us for some time. They've they've mentioned that they want to do this work. Okay, apply to be an AmeriCorps member. Be a peer support specialist where your experience is what qualifies you for the job. Yeah, that's that's the amazing part where we're trying to build a new generation of leaders, and that's that's what I hope that other organizations and other agencies kind of take on and they can look at Phoenix Street Project as a model because we really believe that in order for us to end homelessness, to prevent runaways or or to, to tackle this issue, we have to develop those who are experiencing this situation, develop them into leaders, teach them how to advocate, not for themselves, but for others, and just watch what happens. And I just, that's the most exciting part about the industry project for me. It's the leaders that we're developing. That's beautiful. So yeah. our drop-in center is um, not just a safe space to hang out, but it's a place where you can literally get your basic needs met. Um, we have a laundry room where you can do a free laundry, a load of laundry every day from when we're open, you can do a load of clothes for free. Um, we have care packages, what we call our drip boxes, where they're foods that you would kind of um, kind of compare them to like college care packages. But if you request um, these boxes on our website, if you have a job interview or let's say you have um, a need for a coat or if you have a need for a shoes, you can request that clothing item as well. And you don't, just because you are struggling financially doesn't mean that you can't, you know, you can't have drip. Like you, yeah. So we have drip boxes. Um, and we also um, provide arts and media. So our drop-in center is not labeled the Phoenix Street Project Homeless Youth Drop-in Center. I could not call it that. So we're calling it the Arts and Media Drop-in Center. So we have a music studio in our drop-in center. Um, we have a lounge where young people can play Xbox. Um, we do a lot of programming. We have a Rise Youth Poetry Team where young people can join our poetry team and compete in different poetry slams across the state. Um, in addition to that, we're always looking for collaborative projects with different organizations. Um, just last year for Black History Month, our organization partnered with the city of Salisbury to basically create media projects with local Black history um, figures. And that was an amazing opportunity because we work with all youth. So not just those who come through our drop-in center, um, they aren't all just those who are experiencing homelessness. They're just youth in general. And the beauty of that is right now we're having a problem where young people don't even know that they're considered unaccompanied youth. They don't know that their situation is deemed homeless. So if we just attract young people to come into the drop-in center, we educate them on what we do and we talk about the different resources, we have more self-referrals than we have agency referrals than I think um, I could even have anticipated, especially being the only youth drop-in center in Warsaw County, Wacomico County, and uh, Somerset County. So in our three, in our region, we are the only youth drop-in center that provides services. And so to have that many self-referrals is, is pretty amazing. And we utilize social media. We're looking to launch an app. It, it's we're doing everything that we need to do to make it accessible for young people to help themselves. 
having more self-referrals than agency referrals is huge. That is a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. And I'm like, that's so cool. Yeah, it, it's so, it's so cool. It's so great. And to the point where we literally are creating this, this clubhouse, this, like, this is almost like this bird's nest. It's almost like you can come in whenever you want. You can chill, you can go to sleep, you can nap, you can listen to music. You can do art, you can paint, you can eat a couple of noodles and watch Netflix all day. It's your, this is your safe space. And the important part is that we let the young people lead. So we don't do anything unless it is approved by our young people. So we have a youth advisory board um, that meets every Wednesday. We're still trying to up, um, you know, recruit for that and things like that. And even though uh, we have a lot of self-referrals. We have to realize that, you know, a lot of young people are surviving. So program participation is going to be junky. Like you're going to have one days where people are showing up and then you have one day where you just have one person show up. And I think agencies really need to learn how to be flexible, really yes, need yes. to learn that there are some people, there are some programs that are just, they can't be structured. They can't, they just, you just need to provide the space build it and they will come and literally our drop-in center is literally build it and they will come and that and that's so important like even with our our new program that we're getting ready to start now and it's basically because it's a need we're seeing a huge huge need um and on the lower shore right now we have shelters that are operating not at a hundred percent capacity because of covid um and it's making to the point where we get a shelter bed availability list um, emailed to all the agencies, a part of our COC. And every day we're seeing that there are no beds available and no shelters. Um, and there's no funding for hotel motel vouchers, right? Um, and there's no many, there, there's no more emergency housing vouchers. So we're finding this need and this increase of street homeless youth. And so we actually, Acquired the unit next door to our drop-in center and during the day it's going to be an event center where we do our larger programs but at night we're doing emergency beds um, to allow nine cots in there because we can't afford to keep turning people away we, we wouldn't be identifying and doing warm handoffs if we're literally we get their name we get their demographics, we count them, and then we send them back out. And that's what too many agencies do. We do their intake, we collect the demographics, and we submit it in our grant report, and then that's it. And I advocate against that. Like, youth are people. They're human beings. They're not numbers. And so my whole thing is trying to work myself out of a job. And I feel like if I see that there's a gap in services and we have the means to do it, we're going to fill in that gap. So that's why now we're on track to having our emergency beds at our drop-in center, but we're also on track to opening up the Lower Shores First Ever Youth Shelter, um, where we'll be um, providing transitional living space um, to 17 to 24-year-olds. Uh, 17, 8 to 17, 24. And that is just the need. Like, we can't keep saying that, oh, we're doing this. But in reality, the easy way would be to just do an intake, get your information, give you a nice handshake. 
And that's yeah. it. That would be the easy way, but we can't do the easy way. That is like so amazing, Amber. That's so cool. And that Thank you identify these gaps and like, like they exist, like they are real, they exist. And like, we, I feel like there's, I'm not, this is not profound or new, but there's a lot of gaps in the system that fail young people. Mm -hmm. And I think looking at all the gaps, looking at all the failures of like the system that we have can be discouraging and to address, like find solutions and address it and really be a leader in this field is so amazing. It's like really cool the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I love what I do. I truly, I truly do. I really wanted to share with other young directors um, and, and group leaders that you don't have to really know what you're doing in order to do something. <laughs> and I and I say that in, I say that with caution because you know a lot of people like to jump into a mess and not have any background or have any experience in it. But sometimes we halt change in the community because we think that there's somebody better to do this job or to fix this problem. And really we're the ones that can fix the problem. We're the ones that can um, make change in the community. And when coming up as a, a younger, because I'm 31, um, I started the organization at the age of 23. Yeah, 23. Um, so I was young coming into it. I got all the, all the, the jokes like, oh, Amber Green, she represents the youth or you're not too far away from the people who you're trying to help. Like I've heard it all. And to the point where I used to downplay myself, downplay my expertise. You know, yeah, I am young. That's what makes me an expert. You know, yeah, I, I have been evicted before. That's what makes me an expert. <laughs> I have dropped out of school because of my mental health. That's what makes me an expert um, and the right person to um, help these young people. So my, my message to any young director or anybody that is new to this realm of human service work and working with youth, you do not have to have it all figured out. Like sometimes your passion is what qualifies you to do this work. And I, I truly feel like I am the perfect example of that because I don't have any letters behind my name. I, like, I, I proudly say, not proudly say that I'm a I'm a college dropout, but I, I proudly say that I took my mental health seriously at a time where everyone around me told me that it wasn't that important. I should just get the degree. And that reality and that experience is so relatable to the young people that I'm working with. Why would I hide that? Why would I hide that testimony to the point where I might go back to school now that I've got my head back on right? So it, it's the process, you can't, I was just talking about this earlier, that you can't run away from the process. You can't yeah. shy away from the process. And so that, that's the last little tidbit that I want to give to, to other directors and young, young people, young group leaders. No, I think that's beautiful. And like, I'm definitely going to, like, I'm internalizing that right now. What would you want to tell, what, like, advice to your clients or other young people that you serve? I think what I would tell myself 
at 16, 17, or what I would tell myself or any young person between the ages of 18 and 24. Um, you think you have a plan, you don't. It's okay not to have it figured out. It's okay to not know what's next. At this point, the situation, whatever situation that you find yourself in, it's your situation. It's your unique life experience. It's what qualifies you to live the life that you have and own that shit. <laughs> own it. It's yours. And all you have to do is be the best, ver the better version of you the next day. That's all you have to do. You don't have to be an expert in adulting. I'm still winging it like eyeliner. But just fight to be the best version of you every day. And that's what I would tell myself because for some reason at 16 years old, I knew that I was going to be married with kids at the age of 26. And no. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Amber. And thank you to everyone who's committed to learning more about youth homelessness in the United States. And of course, thank you to everyone who has joined us today for our second episode in our second season of the Let's Talk podcast series. As always, I'm Maria and let's talk soon.